favorite. Uh, it'd have to go Garth Brooks. Which Garth Brooks song? Uh, what's the... Uh, <laughs> is that damn old Rodeo? No, this is old That's 90s. That's my favorite. Um, 3.30 Blame in the morning. Blame it all on my roots. Blame it all on my oh, roots. What is that? What's the I name of that song? I showed up in boots. Um, uh, um, uh, gosh, what's the name of that song? Don't All my know. friends, no. Oh, low places. Low, yeah. places. low places. There you go. Okay, wow. Do you what have it? friends in low places? Surely, because you're here. Hey, <laughs> welcome to Pines and Perspectives. There's three of us today, and uh, that was the first time. This is the first time on Pines and Perspectives where we have three guests. Yeah, so or three, um, three, three, three people on the show. Three people on the show. Uh, so this is Dr. Benjamin Blackwell. Um, he. What are your credentials? Say your credentials. I should have done a bio. Teach New Testament theology at Houston Christian, or at least formerly. The high school? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Houston Christian High School? Oh, the, the university. <laughs> yeah. Junior high. The, <laughs> the artist formerly known as Houston Baptist yes, University. Yes, yes, that's right. So, and I direct uh, Houston Theological Seminary. Okay, yeah. and um, PhD from Durham. Yep. Uh, master's in divinity and accounting. As well, and undergrads in both as well. A uh, close personal friend of Tom Wright? Uh, yeah, Weird. well, yes. As close as that, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you worked for he him? He does respond to my email, so I guess. Well, he, go. he, hey, doesn't, I, he doesn't respond to mine. So. Uh, how many times have you emailed him? Uh, I don't know. Never. <laughs> <laughs> so, there we go. Uh, I think both of us could say Ben has been extremely influential in uh, both of our lives. Um, in ways that we can't begin to um, quantify. The, uh, during my undergraduate program, I took more class, more more class hours with Ben than any other professor. <laughs> it was like twenty one hours. Yeah, see, <laughs> I would normally say that was true for me, but I think I had equal with Brookins just because I had so many language classes. I had yeah, so many yeah. Greek and Latin classes. Yeah, uh, I like to say that uh, uh, Ben Blackwell uh, started my liberalization. Uh, <laughs> yeah, started, started. I don't know if that's. You appreciate that title? I, I mean, it, I'm, I'm happy to make people open to wider perspectives. <laughs> right. Hey, well, you're on the right podcast I'll, I'll for let, that. I'll take let somebody else take the blame for making you actually liberal. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it, man. Higher education creates critical thinking skills and opens your uh, worldview to other perspectives, yeah, right? Of course. So, uh, goal achieved. Okay, uh, let's drink some beer. Uh, so, uh, Ben um, did his uh, PhD in uh, the UK and is soon to move back to the UK. Where are you moving to again? Some town. Cheltenham. Cheltenham is the British way. Well, Cheltenham. It, it feels like there's too many consonants yes. next to one another. Uh, they go in together, but it's in Western England near Wales. So, Bristol. Okay. Ish. Do you speak any Welsh? No. Is there a lot of like language overlap uh welsh people all speak english but uh, they there is a resurgence of learning well welsh yeah because down with colonization and the monarchy right yes so do you have to pledge fealty to king charles uh i don't think so okay you just have to use money with his face on it i did have to agree not to be a terrorist or somebody that uh, destabilizes the british government to get my visa huh. so. okay so you won't be joining their um their their conservative party then because that's what they're doing over there, right? Uh, yeah, they they didn't do too well in their last elections. <laughs> right, so. right, right. <laughs> Regional, but uh, well, Sunak seems well. They have they have parliament, right? 
Yeah. Yes. I think that system is far and away better to adequately represent people in the way that they can form alliances and allegiances. Yeah, but they yell at each other the whole time. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do, but that's how you actually get people to represent because, you know, once the highest party tries to make their alliance, if they're unsuccessful, it goes to the next one and then they can make an alliance yeah. to become the the way to actually get it, it. I think it promotes progress and actually getting something done in the way they allow those allegiances. Yeah, I guess so. They're they have like six hundred MPs yeah. for not that many the UK. People. Yeah, so yeah. they have yeah. it's too many. A, a quarter of our population, but twice as many representatives. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's too but, many cooks that, in the kitchen. But that does mean then the the there's not the simple bifurcation. Of course, right. they have three main parties anyway: the Liberal right. Democrats between the Labor and Tories. But right. it, it does mean they people settle out into subgroups. They've yeah. also had like four prime ministers in uh, six months. Um, but uh, <laughs> but but uh, Volodymyr Zelensky was just there um, uh, meeting with what's his name Sunak. Okay, enough about the politics. UK. Yes. Um, so, but the reason why I brought that up is because Ben um, was in the UK and is moving to the UK. So you have an appreciation for beer. Or no? It, it is probably underdeveloped based on that. <laughs> people, people in England think I like the cheapest beer there. So that tells you. Okay. Uh, you what, know, what is the cheapest beer there? Carlsberg. Oh, yes. I've had it. Interesting. It's an import here, so it, right. it like sound, but like it's cheap. Like, that's, have you only had it here? That's yeah. Oh, well, yeah. then you can't judge its flavor. Yeah, it no, changes it's true, coming true. across. It's, it's got to be different. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we're going to drink this beer, and it's not from the UK. It's from Texas. Uh, yeah. So we actually have three beers, all from the same brewery, Paradigm Brewing, and they're actually in Tomball, Texas. I think it's pronounced Paradigm. <laughs> <laughs> Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to everyone. I have uh, the Precision IPA. These are all from the same brewery, and uh, their website says they're all from the Core Series. Okay. Core Series or Core Lineup. These beers are part of our core brews that we are offering to the market, whether you're at the Paradigm Brewery or in your local grocery store uh-huh. or market. Ask for one of these core brews by name. Cool. So I have the Precision IPA. Um, it's 7%. Um, really? ABV. Okay. And it's somewhere around 70 IBUs. They have this really nice oh, uh, dial IBU dial gauge. Good art. Somewhere around 70 IBUs. Uh, its description says, inspired by old school American IPAs. This brew offers a clean and classic light malt flavor that highlights the star of the show, the hops. So you think about this, this should be a New England style IPA, if okay. I guess. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I've got the Unforgettable Blonde Ale. That was a, you're supposed to do it into the microphone. Uh, featuring Vienna malt and German hops. Unforgotten, uh, that's the name of it, sorry, Unforgotten. Delivers a smooth, drinkable experience, but the real story behind this brew is our heroes. First responders, police, and our military. See, it has this American flag, this tattered American flag on it, which I was going to say something about, but now I feel like I can't. We honor the efforts <laughs> and sacrifices to keep us safe, <laughs> and a portion of the proceeds from every beer goes to help support them. Enjoy the drinkability of this premium craft beer, and know you are helping to make a difference. Well, there you go. Now I feel great about drinking this beer. Four points. 4.5 alcohol by volume, 12 ounces in a can. Ben, what are you drinking you, over there? Do you what? typically like blondes? No. I mean, I'm married, married, to, I'm, to, I'm married to one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, look, I have that button. 
<laughs> oh no, wrong button. Where's the there it is. Okay. Uh Ben, what are you drinking over there? We gave him this one on purpose. What's I've it got called? The Professor Pills. Hey, yeah, you do. You know, when it's low hanging fruit, sometimes you just gotta pick oh, it. There it oh, is. It's but, got the uh almost well, I guess it's got an even more robust picture of a uh mustache from what's his face, the um, football coach guy. Who, what are you talking about? Who has a mustache? What's his name? Football oh, 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 oh. The, the Bears? Ted Lasso. Oh, Ted oh, Lasso. Yeah. Oh, oh, he was using oh, football in the, in the, in the British the, sense. Yes, sorry. <laughs> yeah, the, the, yeah. So, um, so funny. Ben does not have any facial hair. Yes, no, no I can't grow. Uh, Go to YouTube. Good. Look, it's, look it at is it. thin and uh, un- Me too. impressive. Me so. too. We can't all be Cullen, so that's okay. Well, uh, you know. Let me let me read the description for you. A classic German pilsner from our brewmaster who is a professor of brewery operations and management at a major Texas university. Uh, uh, which one's that packed with honey and floral malt notes this beer delivers classic hop notes in every sip there is a special drinkability that comes from the long aging and lagering process that makes this beer melt in your mouth class is in session 5.5 percent alcohol by volume how's that make you feel what do you think about pilsners i'm a pilsner fan well that's great all right sorry you are always so timid when you open your beer. I don't like it to splash up my computer. You all right over there, Ben? Computer. You been drinking? Computer, he <laughs> says. All right. What do you What are you tasting? What are you smelling? What are you doing? What are you living? What are you rating? I think I'm kind of stopped up because I'm struggling to smell it. It's not super. The f- smell's not super pungent on mine. Hmm. It's a classic New England style IPA. The fun fact, anybody know how the IPA was invented? Yeah. How? Uh, the British were sending beer to India, and no. it kept spoiling. No, you... So they overhopped it. See, this is what happens when we bring amateur hour in. India, pale, ale. No, it's because they were trying to bring beer over from England That's what along I just said. the India trading route to America and they added hops to it preservative. To, to make it a Okay, sorry, I got one detail of the freaking story it wrong. It certainly wasn't going to was, India. Okay, guy. well, it was on the what trail? The India Thank trading. Thank you. Company. Yes, because that's where we does sent that trail, coffee and does, tea to India, Does that too, trail huh? cross India? Thank you. <laughs> and the cl- uh, crowd goes wild. <laughs> ben coming in with the, the key sound effect. Okay, um, mine tastes like a pretty classic New England style IPA. Uh, hops are pretty um, mild. Um, yeah, well, seventy IBUs 70. is misleading. Um, I was gonna say seventy. Is, yeah. yeah, it's a little misleading. Doesn't quote coat my mouth the way you would expect something that high in IBUs to leave you with that super super pungent bitter flavor. Um, Seven one. What yeah, do you it's think? Decent. Seven one. That's quite the rating. What do you think the innovative techniques and technologies are that they? Reference? I don't know. I was trying to. I was trying to read more about them, and they make you know, not to poo poo on anybody, but they make some pretty outlandish claims, and they don't back them up in any kind of research way or <laughs> tell you why they're making do, those claims. Do they not cite their sources? <laughs> they don't. Uh, Doctor Blackwell would be uh, appalled at some of this writing. Can I see the bibliography? Yeah. Uh, so you know, I'm not real sure. Uh, you know, and then again, maybe they just had Chat GPT write all this with uh, fancy words and. Uh, 
Maybe. Uh, attention getters. Are you using ChatGPT as a professor at all? I did. Uh, I asked it, what is the main theme of Matthew's gospel? Okay. Did it get it right? It talked about the kingdom of God. Well, there you go. And it explained it pretty well. Predictive text. It did not do as well when I asked the same question about gospel of Luke. So, Oh, interesting. Okay. Didn't do as well. It didn't, it didn't fit your hermeneutic well, expectations. What, what did it say? Because if you were going to ask me, I'd be like, the main theme is the marginalized. Jesus, the king of the marginalized. Well, in that sense, like it, it does start with Jesus's identity and yeah. and the kingdom as the way to address the problem of the marginalized. Yeah. So oh, you're preaching well, the good go. news to the poor, right? right. And so, it, what is the gospel? Jesus is the Messiah who's bringing in that kingdom. And it didn't. And you disagree with that. that? You don't. You don't. You don't believe in any of that. Yeah, it didn't. <laughs> it, it didn't get it as sharply as it did. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I only asked it once, so I guess I. Well, I and you know, it, to, it can do better if you prompt it. Well. Yeah, you yeah. tell right? us. The prompts yeah. are prompts are key on it. Um, this beer uh, is unforgotten, and I will probably forget it. It's Ooh. not great. Um, <laughs> it's four points. What's your, What's your favorite kind of blonde? Just so I know what, what you're. I don't working. have you a, like the bombshell blonde. That's like the only one I can. That's from Southern Star, also here in Texas. That's yeah. the only one I can even think of. I mean, what about I'm the not, Shiner Blonde? Oh, I am not a fan. But Maybe look, you just look, don't really like blondes. Uh, I mean, Krista, baby, baby boo-boo, it's all good. <laughs> but um, Look, it's good. I, I got to be honest. They do deliver. It is very smooth. I'll give them that. The Vienna the Vienna Malton German hops is just like not flavors. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good, easy drinker. I could probably uh, have some tacos or some, um, you know, crawfish or... Something spicy, and it would be nice and refreshing. I give it a middle of the road five. There you go, nice. Ben, how you feeling about your pills? Your professor pills? Yeah, it's uh, smooth, but not like again, nothing memorable here. Yeah. So. Well, apparently there is a special drinkability that comes from the long aging and lagering process that makes this beer melt in your mouth. Would but, you agree? But they didn't cite their source. So. Yes. Or tell us what that special drinkability is. I don't know. I mean, it, so it says here that it's supposed to be honey and floral malt notes. Yeah. I'm not sure. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's was at least, uh, I mean, I'll say it's smooth. I mean, it, it, it's it, it's not one that I would avoid. Okay. It may it's, not be okay. one that I seek out. So I get about six, six and a half. Okay, wow. Six I, and a half. I wish I had the four sixes uh, pills for them. So I went to go get it. And it wasn't uh, there. Well, they didn't have them broken down into the make your own six pack. So I would have had to buy a whole six pack. And I didn't want to do that. Yeah, no, anybody got time for that. Well, I already had to buy a six pack of singles just to have enough beer for the day. So. Do you ever uh, wear a monocle? There's a Never. monocle on that beer. Okay. Uh have you ever considered wearing a fake mustache and a monocle for your new uh, for your new attire in England? If you just show up in the UK dressed like if that. If you just start that way, nobody knows you never did except the people that hired you. I right. was thinking about getting a Harry Potter robe to lecture in. Of so. course. Oh, yes. Do you have to wear a fancy hat to lecture in No, England? in Durham, uh, there was only one last holdout because it used to lecture in a black. It was an open robe. It wasn't oh, like yeah, a yeah. choir robe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you would wear, but you would wear black robes to formal dinners. Really? In, in the colleges. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So you, uh, is a way to kind of mark out you're doing something di different. Okay. So. Okay. Well, I guess, I guess they, uh, you know, they do things different across the pond, don't they? All right. Well, 
Apparently it so. It is colder there, so it makes sense that you wear robes more. More robes. More robes. I guess so. Layers, yeah. they say. Layers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So, Ben, you're here for a very specific reason. One that I'm uh, very excited about. Adam is the one that initially... This was my idea. Yeah. Uh, because... Uh, I almost called you Clayton. Bringing back Clayton. Uh, Cullen uh, tested whether or not I was a heretic based on a reading through of the Nicene Creed. Uh, and if you watch that episode, you can go back and find it, but if you watch that episode, watch you'll the remember. YouTube version. It's better. The YouTube version is better, but you'll remember that um, I complained about the fact that there was this professor that forced us to memorize the Nicene Creed like over and over again every semester at Tim. It's him. So go ahead and You're recite welcome. it. Go ahead and recite it for us. You're welcome. I pledge allegiance. <laughs> 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 and there he is. Okay. Uh, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and all things visible and invisible. Anyways, um, so we tried. We walked through that, and um, unfortunately, I'm sad to say that uh, I um, didn't necessarily agree with everything in there. Um, maybe the biggest uh, one and the easiest one is the virgin birth, which is in there. So apparently, though, Cullen has no problem with anything in the Nicene Creed. Well, okay. I I personally believe that I affir- I affirm the Nicene Creed. Um, but you might be able to get me on the clause Father Almighty. Okay. Because I am definitely given over... Like, I believe in concept that God began as Father Almighty. But I definitely have, like, a Jürgen Moltmann voluntary self-limitation of God's power. And so I wouldn't say that God sits today almighty, but God has the capacity of being almighty maybe, and and definitely in a way that there will come a time where God will pick that power back up to end the war against evil. Am I a heretic? Yeah, what do you you think? He doesn't think God is omnipotent. Yeah, uh, I mean, it... it, uh, any form of Arminianism is heresy. Is <laughs> well, so God, so seventy percent of Western Christians are heretics. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. It, it's a uh, it, your version of that is uh, upon a spectrum of which is already God is actively partnering with humanity in a way that is not meticulously almighty yes providential yeah. over every action they do i guess yeah i guess we have to read almighty there's degrees to almighty there's degrees to interpreting how much almightiness god has yeah in that sense because you i don't think you're actually negating god as almighty you're just saying how is god expressing his almighty authority mm-hmm. which yeah, you would agree so, with yeah in some ways so the way i kind of look at it is like the Old Testament gives us a picture of a God that is all-powerful and, like, really, really invested in humanity and therefore really passionate about humanity. And that collision of that power and that passion, it collides into some really, really terrible things in the name of God in the Old Testament. Like what? Name one. Conquest. Yeah, colonization. Yeah, genocide. Um, let's let's use yeah, genocide. Yeah, genocide. that's a great one. Yeah, and and so like for me, <laughs> I I kind of think that like that self limitation of God happens at Jesus 
when we see a, a you know, powerless, for lack of a better term, uh, figure come and exemplify the epitome of power on oh, the cross Jesus, and conquering yeah. of evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of lays it down. And I would, you know, for, uh, you know, proof text, I would point to like Philippians 2. Yeah, so I'd say what my only minor critique of that is that the nonviolence takes a lot of power in this sense of you yeah. to oh. not respond in a way of the flesh to re- to respond evil versus evil yeah is uh, takes a, an extreme amount of spiritual power but god didn't to, do it before yeah i wouldn't say that's the uh, the the qualitative nature of the distinction of god's judgment in the old testament and the new testament i think the new testament is actually much Stronger, like yeah, the, the hell language, like the the nature of punishment uh, described in the New Testament is of a greater quantity and quality, I think, than the Old Testament. The only thing that allows us to feel less intense about that is that it's put off to the future rather mm-hmm. than uh, than being experienced re- now. Yes, yeah. yeah, because one is theoretical, the other one is like actual dead babies on the ground, genocide. Well, it's not theoretical. It's just materialized versus immaterialized. Yeah, Presence well, it's just immaterial being theoretical, right? I mean, because... Well, it's not theoretical. You're it's talking not- about hell. You're talking about eternal torment and hell. Yeah, whatever whatever the nature <laughs> of that is. I mean... It, right, w- which we don't I, know. I, yeah, well, that's the whole thing. But it, it uh, you don't have to have prescribed the specific nature of it to okay. know that there is something that is... Punitive? Yes, negative about it. Yeah. Okay, Extremely so, negative, so right? So would, would you say that punitive in that way must mean some kind of like eternal conscious torment? Look, you're getting into the next episode topic. <laughs> but, well, no. But okay, well, no, I, mean, I got you. I got you. about atonement. So I, I got guess you. In some yeah, ways no, it kind of is. I, but, I, I don't think that's a necessity. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, the Nicene Creed certainly doesn't seem to think so. Well, either. then what makes it so much more grievous or so much more intense than the Old Testament, like actual experience of? Well, I guess in that sense, it, it but it is ultimate there because even in the Old Testament, there's hints of some afterlife that okay. may or may not be qualified in the same way as the judgment that's experienced. Whereas whatever this is, it's ultimate. Gotcha. Mm. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Um. Okay, so I know you're not the most adept in your contemporary theology, that you're a church historian and patristics Well, you're just going to call him out like that, huh? Uh, Well, because he would do it. He's done it before (laughs) on these podcasts. Uh, When I tried to talk about the the social gospel on our episode about the kingdom of God, he was like, yeah, my contemporary theology is not my best. Okay, all right, well. Hadn't been dead long enough to be be tested by time. (laughs) Got it. He said, death is the real tester of how good your work is. Is, is that how you feel about your own work? <laughs> <laughs> Not when those book sales are coming in. <laughs> yeah, feel, feel free to plug a few publications while we're here. Anyways. Uh, okay, so uh, surely you know who Paul Tillich is and this concept of the ground of being. Do you know who Paul Tillich yes, is? Yes, he knows who Paul Tillich is. I've heard of this person. So <laughs> I don't love... Paul's total concept. And I really don't love where he takes it and it's ending place. But, but the initial construct of this like energetic ground of being, being the source of divinity, right? Okay. So I like that concept. I, I get that. That makes total sense to me. 
And I still believe that God is in some ways the, I say, cause of creation. Not because I, I don't believe in some kind of ex nihilo uh, creation, I don't think. Um, and so what I have done to help alleviate the problem of evil. And it's all, yeah, it's from a, a reading of scripture, but I, I created a ground of death. He created a, a yin to the yang. Okay. Yeah. I created a ground of death that what I believe the Old Testament authors communicate some truth to in storytelling form to be what we call the deep or the sea, the, the thing that they were afraid of a lot in the Old Testament and what appeared to be present when God happened upon the water. Because God doesn't make the water. At least the story doesn't tell us that God makes the water in Genesis 1. God creates land. God creates light to light up what they can see. But God separates the waters. Heretic, the, right? The deep to create land and bring forth life. Um, and you said, well, water is a great metaphor throughout the Bible, right? Baptism and purification and yeah. cleansing and all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, but it's not the deep. It's not salt water, which is good for absolutely nothing mm. um, except to cool the earth. Hmm. Um, and so, yes, I I, salt. I've created this kind of dichotomy of which I believe, um, has happened a lot of different ways, but even in the way that the Satan character has evolved, right? When we first really see this character chronologically, we would probably say the earliest is in the book of Job, right? And the best way I could say it is like that character seems to be on God's payroll. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Like, they're on God's side. They answer to God. You know, when you, uh, there's this, in, in the U.S., if you need a lawyer, uh -huh. you get a public defender. That's right. Well, That's he's right. the public accuser, right? The public accuser. Yeah. In, in the Job story. Yes. yes. In the Job story. Well, and the only thing that remains true about the Hasatan character throughout the biblical story, both old and new, is some concept of temptation. Okay. Tempting. I mean, nothing else. I mean, he's the, in Job, he's the arbiter of faithfulness, arbiter of righteousness. He's like, he's seeking out testing of the faithfulness of, of Job. Well, when we see him temp, tempt Jesus, right, in Luke's gospel, it's the tempting and testing. And so that, that, that Satan character isn't, I don't believe we should view as like the embodiment of evil necessarily. Mm. Um, and so that kind of took that role out. And so, yeah, this, all of these things put together and we did a, I don't know, seven or no, it was like 11 part series on the, on problem, the problem of evil. Of evil. Um, and I, yeah, through it, I came up with this kind of concept of the ground of death. So yeah, because of this and my creation of this ground of death character being preexistent, but clearly inferior to ground of being, Adam thinks I'm a heretic. Okay, hold on. Do, yes. do you want to respond? Because, go ahead. Well, go, go just, ahead. you know, so there's two ways to talk about the problem of evil. Okay, there's, let's do this. There's one as an active agent, and then there's one as the privation of good. Okay. And so, in that sense, uh, you know, so Augustine would say, like, evil doesn't really exist. It's actually non-existence. Mm. Like a darkness is the absence of light kind of thing? Yeah, that, in that sense. And so it's a corruption to the extent that it is existing. 
that you experience it, it's only a corruption of the good. Mm. You can only experience evil after good exists. What causes that corruption? Uh, yeah, in that sense, it would be volitional agency, right? For so human choice. Well, or angelic, right? In that sense, that they any personal agent uh, would be able to then act Jeez. in such a way to corrupt or uh, the good. Now, the the other option here, and I guess this is a question I have for you then, is this sense of if you have the active agency or the um, active presence of evil as a, I don't know, pre-existing or where, yeah. is, is there an origin to this? This is the question. Well, is there an origin to God? This is the question. Because that's my question. If there's no origin to God, why do I have to have an origin for evil? What's the first unmoved mover of evil? That's my question. My argument is, I mean, it, it, and in some ways, depending on how you want to structure the whole thing, Well, yeah. He would say that his ground of death versus ground of being concept, good versus evil, that they're both uh, eternal, pre-existent. 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 Yeah. pre-existent. Uh, like they're, they're counterparts to the same coin, good and evil. And in the same way that, you know, like Isaiah, yeah, sure says that God created ex nihilo. But Genesis doesn't say that. Genesis says that God happened upon something, made some light to see what it was, and then separated what they found and created something inhabitable. And that's why the Talmud would say that when they looked at God as creator, God made order out of chaos, right? God didn't necessarily, ex nihilo creation is not the only way the ancient world viewed the creation yeah, story. Yeah. Right. My, my only issue with that is perhaps over-interpreting, in the same way I wouldn't want to over-interpret Genesis 1 about other aspects of the literal yeah how earth came to be yeah seven yeah. days all that right I, I am i wouldn't always want to over interpret or potentially right i mean th- this is the question of like if if that is my primary source of information for that idea that something pre-existed yeah or eternally existed with god then that by itself would not be sufficient because I'm already questioning the mechanics okay. of the way Genesis 1 is presenting that material. Um, now, that doesn't mean that it, it necessarily is uh, something that you have to deny. or you, It's still a data point, right? Yeah. I, I don't want to deny that it is a data point. But, but it doesn't it have is, to be necessarily like a foundational doctrinal development data point. It would be hard for me without verification somewhere <laughs> else to make that. In the same way, like I question the way that so evolution, like I don't, I, I have many other data points that, when r- along with Genesis one makes me read Genesis one in yeah. a way that is not this progression of seven days. Yep. Right. And yep. so, in that sense, there are other data points I would say that are more specific to the nature of who God is and the nature of the world, such that when I bring that together with Genesis one that I'll, I would read Genesis one in a different way. Um, so in that sense, like a John one, one in the beginning yeah, was the got word. It. And, and so in that sense, what exists in the beginning is the word, not creation itself. And the word was with God and the word was God. And so right. in that sense that you have these other things that would outweigh that. So in that way, let, let's say we go that way. You create a very, and, and that's what we talked about a lot through this series is no matter how you skin the cat, 
you, the problem of evil is not easily solved. And so if you solve one thing, you're creating another one. <laughs> sure. And what you've created is, in, in your way, God must have created evil. Yeah, so that's the question. And, and I can't have that. Is, like, for me, uh, lots of people can deal with a, a supreme, powerful God and, and some view of justice. I can't. I need God to be good. Far and above more than I need God mm. to be powerful I need God to be good. I need God to be benevolent. I need God to be omnibenevolent. Yeah, and I guess that's, uh, I mean, I, I definitely understand that. It, thinking here of John Barclay in his book, Paul and the Gift, talks about this as uh, the singularity of grace, that, that God is singularly motivated by this benevolence, particularly is the language he uses. Yeah. That's a great book. It's going to be incorporated into my tattoo sleeve. Yeah, it, it's a good one. I you would put say, John's face on your. Uh, but no, his argument is, is box. he he would argue that Paul does not like Paul at least does not um, perfect that um, that grace of singularity. Right. And in that sense, I think that God God's benevolence is uh, definitely expressed as a primary factor, but even then, so like, and this is maybe the thing of Romans here is that God's righteousness is saving activity is often carried out through other agents, you know, mm. forms. So the mm-hmm. wrath of God actually is an expression of his righteousness to bring salvation. And so I, I, in the prophets, it talks about that anytime God's wrath I see is not as destructive. It is actually for the benefit of the, the people uh, just reading um, Jeremiah of late here. And so like Jeremiah uh, put heard, it for our listeners. They're not all Bible nerds like us. Jeremiah is a prophet in the exilic period. Oh okay. yes. Yeah. So Bible book. Yeah. He's, so, he's actually in, ba- in Babylon while they're next home. Yeah. So Jeremiah is talking about, so one of the things that God brings judgment on the people for is because they made a pact to free all their slaves, mm-hmm. all the Hebrew slaves. Right. And uh, I assume part of the, what motivated the, the Jews to free their slaves uh, was to have a better fighting force against the Babylonians. I don't know. It doesn't explain why <laughs> they made this covenant. Yeah. But then they reverse the covenant. They put them back into and slavery. And they put them back into slavery. And so then Jeremiah comes and says, you know, uh, you have created this great sin, right? Yeah. You should have had Jubilee in this time of um, releasing slaves every seven years, and you didn't. Uh, in fact, not only did you not release them, you re-enslaved them. Yeah. But so then God's judgment comes, the Babylonians come. And so around chapter 38, 39 is when that, when he actually describes them coming. And then all these people that were actually the, the workers of the land, the owners mm-hmm. are exiled and all that's left are the poor. And so he, and he says, You've got the whole land here now to yourself. Oh. You get to take it. And so in a lot of ways, God's judgment then actually is the means by which his redemptive purposes are carried out. And so... Uh, in Isn't that, that the whole concept of restorative justice, that justice is truly pulling up those who have been oppressed rather than just trying to push down those who've been exalted? Yeah, and so in that sense, they're not pushing down just those who are, have done evil, but uh, retributive justice that way. But right. at, at the same time, so that, that still, it, it answers a part of the question, but it doesn't answer why God would yeah. allow this evil to happen. Right. Well, right, right, but right. But I do want to say that God's agency 
even uh, coming back to the benevolence issue, that when God is acting, even in ways that seem destructive to us, the purpose is always towards the telos of uh, what we'd call justice. Sure. Always. But, okay. So here's the question. Did you, did you want to respond back? Well, I was going to say is, except when he tells his people to ravage whole cities and yeah. destroy them and rape so their the women. Deal. So, like, sure. I, I, I just... I guess the question is, like, um, what is God responsible for, right? Oh, that is such a great question. Like, yeah. like I want to ask the question well, especially of, in the My question for that is, especially in the biblical story, like, am I allowed to hold God on the hook and say that, hey, like, the destruction of these cities and the conquest of these people and the stealing of their land is not okay? Yeah. We say it for our own actions against the Native Americans— why can't we say it for God? It's the same thing. Adam always says the Old Testament's the greatest book about. It's the how to colonize book. It's the how to colonize book. And I always say it's the second best because Main Camp is the real how to colonize. Okay. So he, you know, Bible and but Hitler's yeah, memoir. Like, really, like I, like, I don't think anybody looks back and goes, oh, yeah, God says that's okay today. And if they do, they probably want to own some slaves. <laughs> well, I guess some do. Yeah, no. Uh, Look, I'm, I'm not here to uh, necessarily vindicate that because I think there is a sense of progressive revelation in the okay. Bible, right? Yeah, so, yeah thank you. But yes. I I would not hold to like a Greg Boyd, Brian Zahn version okay. of things to where the new... To where it become... I mean, I, I just don't know how that becomes Marcionite, to be honest with you. What if it the does God become... The God of the Old Testament is played is, off against the God of the New Testament. It and is well, Marcionism. Well, I don't... No, don't put me in this category then. You can speak for yourself, Marcionite. I think it is Marcionism. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. For me, I do believe in progressive revelation. and I, My primary like hermeneutical lens that I read the scriptures through now is narrative theology. And I think it's a development of the story. Now, I say that fully needing to communicate that I think Genesis 1 through 11 is myth and the true story of Israel begins in Genesis 12. I don't believe any of Genesis 1 through 11 is historical. If Cullen thinks that God just chills out in his old age or is a different God. It's not. I, well, so I heard he reads Stephen Reed. That makes him a Marcion and a heretic. Yes. No, 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 no. What, what I'm <laughs> really the point about, of this episode. Well, what I might end up being a heretic is from a next comment. Okay. Um, Steve Reed, I heard him make a comment one time about the development of God's character and, and, and God's change throughout the biblical story. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, I, I, I don't know how I fully feel about this, but one of my favorite things to contemplate is God learning how to be God. Because if we believe the traditional evangelical dispensational story, God only had slaves before that. Not really slaves, but like angelic beings are not, yeah. I mean, the Bible makes it very clear. They are a different category slaves. of existence. Mm. Are angels slaves? That's a good, that's a solid question. Well, they're not totally slaves because they can't revolt. Well, they are his servants, right? I mean, yeah. that language, but whatever that, uh, yeah. do they they're have messengers, a choice? messengers, apparently. That's what the Greek word means. Yeah. But anyways, so, like, I just wonder if, if, if God had to learn how to interact with humans and God quickly realized what kings have realized or not so quickly realized is that 
Fear is not always the best motivator. Cullen also thinks that God uh, made mistakes in the Old Testament, like the whole genociding of, of cultures. God was learning, and well, he was God, like an adolescent God admits kid. they made mistakes. Okay. I regret does, having made you king, Saul. Does that make him a heretic? <laughs> So, I mean, in that sense, like the, the text there at least says he rege- he never says he regrets anything with regard to the conquest of Israel. You know, it's true. It's true. And so it, I wouldn't want to impute that in there. My question about this, about Jesus, though, it, to what extent is he an expression of, God, of Yahweh's identity? Mm. And what, why we call Jesus uh, divine is yeah. because he is... Uh, Particularly the the Yahweh texts in the Old Testament are applied to him. So just an easy one. Right. Mark one one says this is the beginning of Je- the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, mm. and then it uses John the Baptist to yeah. talk about John the Baptist coming before Jesus. It's a, it quotes that I'm going to send a messenger in front of the Lord right. or Yahweh, and so John the Baptist is coming before Jesus as Yahweh incarnate and so in that sense like there's not a sense in the biblical narrative that jesus is undoing something right that was previously revealed but it, and so i wouldn't want to see this as an opposition um in, in that way to where it was bad and now it's good uh, evolution a progression Pro- progression well, I, yeah. I will take like there is jesus is a revelation of yahweh sure. that we yep. have never had before right, right? Yeah. and so that's got to be progressive right right uh, and 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 yahweh looks very different than yahweh we saw previously right like in in some ways you don't ever see jesus tell anyone to commit violence of any regard of any kind cast the first stone and then when they do he says Put your sword down. Yeah. What are don't. you doing? Yeah. So I think with this part of this though is, and this is where, uh, so Hayes's moral vision is yeah. always yep, yep, a classic text for me. But is it up here? It I was going to say that's what we need. Up here. Oh, I didn't put it up here because he's not affirming. When he, Richard yeah. Hayes. When, uh, yeah. but I mean, this is where when he talks about Bart, this is where I think Bart is right. God is always the free agent here. God, God gets to choose what God does. Mm-hmm. He is the measure of okay of everything rather sure. than us putting him to our measure. Yeah. And so I think when, you know, what Bart would say is it's not normative for Christians to commit violence. It's okay. not something that we are called to do. Okay. But he also, uh, I think, <laughs> rightly wants to say that God could be free to tell the church to do something different. To commit violence. Potentially. To, to January 6th. I wouldn't say this is, potentially. The, this is I, the conundrum. Potentially. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, but yeah, potentially. I mean, but, a lot of people were praying on the Capitol floor, thanking God for access to the building because they believed that they were hearing the voice of God and that their prophets were telling them that now is the time to commit violence in the name of Yeshua to yes. take over a corrupt government. How's that different? Yeah. What I would say is, uh, the what the test for us to be certain about that would be different than the fact that God could do it. Okay. You know what, what would the te- well, what would the test be then? Well, look, I, I, it has not happened, and so I think this is this is Bart's point. It's not that God is his whole thing is it's not normative, and so we it, we would have to have, I think, huge amounts of evidence that it would be the Old the, Testament. The right yeah, thing to do. How like is that not normative? How is that turn. not normative? But it's. I mean, they're chopping still, women up in pieces for crying and out loud. Mailing it around the country. Stories. That's in the Bible. Look, I'm. I'm not. Uh, but 
in this sense to try to defend that. But at the same time, like part of my thing is, is like, I, who am I to choose an ethic of the whole reason I have, the whole reason you have that ethic is because you are pulling it out of the Bible, right? Sure. Yes. At yes. one point, then yes. I have to submit my ethic okay. to what the text itself is leading me to. Okay. And so to the extent, if I ever come to the point where I have to absolutely say what is happening is, is out of character to God, then it's saying that I know more about this than, than the authoritative text is. And so how that works out, like I'm uh, a 90% uh, Anabaptist. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Which, and, and you know, so it's like, I don't know what to do with those texts, but if God, at the same time for me to be, um, hypercritical of them also t- gives me great discomfort. So, right. Okay, so <laughs> what, what I think I hear from you is you, you don't see as much of the conundrum that we see, which is God's power stands in direct opposition to God's goodness. Does it? Does God's power ever stand in direct opposition to God's goodness? See, I, I think that's part of when I think of in finite terms yeah, uh, or scarce resources, these things have to be in opposition to one another. Okay. Yeah. And okay. when I think... Are you about in, to give me the C.S. Lewis, we're a line trying to explain a cube argument? I guess it could be in, oh in that realm. Oh, my gosh, Ben. I wasn't going to use that you analogy. Might as well say Isaiah 55, 8, 9. I, well, no, but what I was going to say here is, like, who who's responsible when anything happens? Okay. The person who I, caused it, wait, man. This That's is a, how we normally say it, but, right? But and if you, you want to take somebody's land, or, what do we do? Or, we buy it. Or We buy it. We don't ravage and kill for or it. The, the person who caused or the person who could have prevented and chose not to prevent. Yeah, I mean, uh, so there... Well, I don't hold that well. Hold on, wait. Yeah. But what about, the, what about this issue? D- do people come to faith solely because of their own volition? No, I would not say that. Yeah, so there's a non-competitive view of agency there well, to where did, God's drawing and our you, choice are not in opposition to one another. Well, but can you really put it in the category of active agency in that way if God is doing it to every person? Mm. Yeah, because he could easily active, be not doing it. Yeah, active. I, I mean, guess so. I guess so. So in this yeah. sense, I just have a non-competitive view of divine and human agency in this sense to where... Uh, you can't easily separate out what we're doing and what God's agency in the world. And it's not a meticulous providence in the sense of a Calvinist. Yeah. Like God's forcing everybody to do it, but it's, it's also not a libertarian free will model to where I get to choose only what I choose and God's doing his bit. And like, that's another competitive form of agency. Yeah. And it, it seems, um, and, and the reason this model, when you know, is when philosophers can assess it, it's incoherent. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's incoherent because the finite is engaging the infinite. Yeah, and we just don't have we just don't have chalk it up uh, to mystery. Yeah. Well, I can well, af- I, I can affirm like that it exists, but how how it exists and why? Yeah, we've we've said this. We said it at almost every episode on our <laughs> Problem of Evil series. Is like no matter how you skin this cat, at some point you're gonna have to give some element of your faith to divine mystery. That's the deal because like we just truly can't explain it all. Which for me feels like a cop out. Okay, let me ask this. Let me ask this. Well, what's a better? Here's the question. What's a better answer? Oh, 
You, uh, that if, 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 God that none of it's exist. true. That, that God that doesn't exist. All, That's what Adam that thinks. That it's all theoretical. That it's all theoretical. That 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 it's all an exercise in thought, and uh, and of course practice. But it's all like you can't. You see, you've seen the feathers coming down out of the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> Is that theoretical? That's one way to put it. Uh, but there's no, no, there's no possible experience. I, I have asked him about this. But there's How does no, he explain away the charismatic There's no possible way for me to verify any of those experiences came from God. There's, see, there's no way. I mean, I can say that everything is from God. Right? Can no, I? I get you. Yeah. So, like, it's just in terms of data points, there's nothing. What I would say there, though, is that it's not some, like, certainty or, like, that's a, we're presuming a, right. a level of certainty that you can't achieve about anything. You cannot have any level of certainty, I think. You, you, it's all based on, it's all based on theory and faith, which I'm not, I'm not, like, you know, great. We do that with, like, I'm. I trust that, like my that the sun's gonna rise tomorrow. I don't know. No, Maybe. dude, you trust all kinds of things. You trust. I know. That the there's person better who built your house did it right. There's you better examples. The person that worked your car. You trust that the person who fixed your car the other day did it the right way, and you're not gonna be driving down the road and it's gonna kill you because they did it wrong. Here's the you thing: you put your faith in all kinds of things. You just refuse to do it. You put your faith no, in all kinds of things that you don't understand. Wait. You just refuse to do it for God. Wait, but in those instances, I can sue my mechanic for doing a bad job. So if God does a bad job, I don't know who that is. And there is no punitive response. And I can't actually have a conversation with God about the bad job. Why I can not? pray. Well, I can't hear him. He's not going to talk back. You never heard God talk to you in prayer? Not audibly. I have thoughts in my head. How do I distinguish? Does your wife only communicate to you audibly? Uh, no. So why is it that God can only communicate to you audibly? What are the other, be- what are the other ways she communicates to me? Can she not tell you all she's trying to tell you with one look? Oh, so, uh, oh, so I can physically see her? Oh, but in other ways, can you not like just sometimes feel when her presence is behind you? Is her presence physically behind me when I feel it? Sure, but okay. you know. <laughs> no, this analogy is totally broken. No, it's not. Not in any kind of way. <laughs> no, it is. It is because she's a real human being. Okay, let, let me back up. 95% of the things that are communicated to you and anytime somebody speaks to you are not the words they're saying. I see them visually. Right, right. They're they're, they're nonverbal. What about when you're on the phone? Oh, there's like a I can he I can hear I can right. physically hear. What okay, I'm trying look. to show you is you've made a lot of loopholes for communication These with are, humans that you don't allow God to also participate in. God doesn't call me on the phone. Um, <laughs> is it a problem that Cullen thinks that evil and good are both pre-existing? That they're both. Uh, 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 moved by, animated by, empowered by two opposing but equal powers. That's heresy. That would be Manichaeism. All right. There we go. Everybody's a heretic at some point. We found it. So he's. But you wouldn't say they're opposing and equal powers? Yes. Well, I would say that the biblical story has told me at every turn that God is more powerful. But chooses not to wins. be. Um, but I would definitely say that they're equally pre-existent. But I'm not necessarily saying that they're equal in power because I don't know that. And also, I know that every time God whoops his ass, it so seems like God loses a lot. I don't think God ever loses. I guess that's how we're de- that's how we're defining evil. I guess and what it's actual what is caused by evil. If God causes 
If I God, guess God's losses are when Israel rebels. If God is the author of mass genocide, if he tells Joshua to kill all the babies and goats and women, the non-combatants. I mean, to be fair, they never actually do it. The walls don't well, let me, crumble let me, down on families. Let me yeah, say they this: never actually, kill everyone. There, there is never a time in of war throughout history, except for when America goes to war to somewhere else, that civilians are not involved. We, <laughs> wait, wait, what? We have some crazy notion that wars, like people in the army, go fight against other people in armies. Yeah. Every war in the history of the world has been fought in civilian areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so, so we have some casual. crazy notion that any war that, that involves civilians is like all wars up until, except for the U.S. All wars. Has fought these wars on somebody else's civilian soil. Right. So yeah. we tend to think that's abnormal. Like, no, no, no. The so all that's to say is like, so then you have to ask this question, is every interaction human interaction in that way mm. like you know what i'm saying like it's but if, not but just but if then he in the heard old testament god, but if god told him the story definitely tells that god said if it's under god's direct yeah orders no i'm not, i i just want to qualify this okay that there's there's some kind of we want to put that kind of war in some weird category and it is it is the way that war has all always wars bad. existed yeah i'm yes. with you there it's all bad it's all bad yeah so I don't like a God that tells people then, to go do you know, it. And, and I don't want to defend because like the whole reasons we went into World War II were self-defense. It was not protection of the Jews or to no, of course liberate, not. liberate the camps. No. Yeah. But th- it, there are times we didn't even know. where there it, it seems better to have participated and stopped what was going oh, on. Oh, just war theory. Uh, tune in next time and we'll discuss just we'll discuss yeah. just war theory with an Anabaptist pacifist. Yeah. <laughs> Again, like I I I have don't know when the justification for that would be achieved. Yeah, yeah right. That's but the thing. But at the same time, because um, I don't think we achieved it in that case, but I still but, like and, and so it is those instances then that make me wonder about well what about then in the Old Testament? Exactly. I, I'm not a purist in the Anabaptist vision. Gotcha. Okay, that's all the time we have. But my last question Cullen to you, Cullen, Cullen, Cullen is a heretic. Yes. Uh, because this idea that, that matter exists eternally and that there's these other principles have more to do with Plato than the Bible. All right, he's a Platonist. No, he's a Platonist heretic. Just reading the Bible. Okay, look, we've only got a minute left. Yeah. I just want to ask one last question: Do you miss us? Yes. In class, do you? Miss do you us? miss us in class doing this? There were times where this man would tell me I was only allowed to speak two times per class, <laughs> and I, I had I had a speaking ration. Yeah. And I was not able. I had to be very strategic about my allotment and what comments I would make when. Yeah. So um, and 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 when we got put on speaking allotments, we would make notes in the margins of our books yes. to know when we were going to talk about. We, would, we were going to use our, our our options. No, we would stop him in the hallway afterwards and make him talk for an hour. So um, or just I will say this: that I have not had the experience that we did from your cohort. A no one is as pompous or uh, <laughs> as <laughs> outspoken 
Well, and I think the other part is actually does all the work you assign. That's true. And can have. We were yeah, that's the whole thing. There's lots of people that are have been good students, very life giving and affirming, uh, just as a professor. But yeah. it's when you have the spark of multiple people that build spark off one another, yeah. and, and that confluence. Shout out to Antonio, Dallas, uh, Andre, Josh. Josh. Um, who else was in there? Derek. Um, Jack Lee was in there. All sorts of people. Anyways. Yeah. Um, Paige Holden was in there. All of our timers are about to cut off. Thanks so much for being here. But he'll be back on the next episode. And uh, goodbye.